Welcome to the Mortis and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 23. I'm Mike Optograph. And I'm Joshua Klein. And uh, in the news here at MNT, well, actually, in the news all across the country here in the U.S., and maybe Canada cares too, I don't know. But uh, yesterday, the famous groundhog Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow, uh, which means that we have six more weeks of winter. And yesterday, we were socked in here with a big snowstorm. So I guess Phil probably just watches the weather and uh, uh, sees what's going on. Yeah, so that's that's big news. That's big news. I'm from Pennsylvania. That is big news in Pennsylvania. Uh, different towns have different groundhog festivals there. Uh, there is a little town across the river from where I lived in central PA. Uh, this little town in Lancaster County called Octorero. And they had a stuffed groundhog that had died like in the 1950s. But every year they'd bring it out and get a prediction from it. <laughs> so, and there's this big festival. Uh, it's an amazing tradition. Wow. So, anyways. You can take that to the bank. Six more weeks of winter. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but uh, in other news, uh, what else? We've been uh, ramping up stuff on the blog. Yeah. Doing a lot more blogging. Uh, every weekday, actually, you've had stuff on the blog. And uh, this podcast is uh, more regular. It's starting to become more regular. This is like regular. the most frequent we've ever done it. Yeah. Every two weeks. Uh, three weeks, I think. Yeah. yeah. Every, yeah. So, yeah. That's um, good. We're excited about that. And we just, um, we added the podcast to two new places, uh, to Pandora and to Spotify. So if you uh, look for podcasts in those places, you can find the uh, Mortis and Tenon podcast there. Uh, so you can also, you know, if you're on Spotify, you can, you know, follow the podcast and, and get it in your regular music feed or whatever. But uh, so we're also there. Um, been really enjoying ramping up. Uh, we left social media recently. We're not using social media anymore. And so now we're uh, full on with the blog and email campaigns and the podcasts and really investing all of that energy into these things now. So yep. we're very excited about it. And there's a lot of stuff coming out, uh, has been coming out. And we'll, we have a backlog of stuff to, to share on the blog. Yeah, so. we're really excited about all that. Uh, issue 10 is in the design phase. We've gotten all of our uh, editing work done. Um, Joshua has been on the computer yeah. and uh, sorting photos. and Lots of photos. It's always an awesome time to see this come together. This issue has a unique assortment of photos that you're yeah. sorting through. Uh, all kinds of different subject matter from gargoyles <laughs> to uh, a toothing plane, mm -hmm. which uh, ironically enough, a toothing plane is currently holding our pop filter as we record this podcast. Yeah. So when we pop with our peas, yeah. you can thank a, a toothing a, plane. A toothing plane. What is that? About a 19th century toothing plane? Yep. Probably and, not earlier than that. Yeah, and the the bed angle is almost dead on ninety degrees. Yeah. some of them are a little bit forward or a little bit back, but this one's about ninety yeah. degrees. So, uh, just so you know, the ever versatile traditional hand tool yeah. at work in yeah. the twenty first century. Uh, we also have uh, in there pictures of me standing in a pond and <laughs> you know getting a little muddy, and you in the forge. 
Yeah, I always feel like, um, for me, we we have these ideas for the picture, or with or like I have a picture in my mind of the editorial work and the articles and how they're going to fit together. And maybe I've seen a few pictures from some of the articles, but it really is once I, as the designer, I guess, once I see the pictures themselves and I have them all sorted and selected and edited and ready to be put in, I can see the full picture. Um, and then it really helps me uh, get a sense of what this issue is going to be like. So I have just actually, as of yesterday, I completed the last um, the last article to sort. So all the pictures mm. are in my head right now. Uh, mm-hmm. What's going to appear in issue 10. And uh, it's quite a, an interesting spectrum. Yeah. Um, as Mike mentioned, uh, we have uh, pictures in the forge. And so there's that whole dynamic. And we got ponds and, and gargoyles and, yeah. you know, all the normal Crazy 15th century <laughs> stone carvings. Yeah. By the way, if you don't know much about gargoyles, yeah. you should look up like cathedral gargoyles yeah because it's just mind-blowing crazy creatures that's all i'm going to say look yeah. it up you'll, you'll hear more and read more in issue 10 but um yeah and i guess we the other thing that we're doing um we're excited about um uh, stocking in our store we're going to begin uh very shortly we're going to launch our first book that we're selling mm-hmm. of you know we we read a lot of books about technology and, and culture and ecology and stuff like that we're interested in. And so that's not, um, it's sort of, it's supportive and connected to MNT, but not really the, exactly what we do. And so uh, we, we refer to these works often mm-hmm. in our articles and in, uh, in blog posts and things. Um, and so we thought, you know what, we should have a lot of these really staple books that we keep referring to. We should have them in our store. Uh, and so the first book uh, is on the way. We have a batch of them going to be shipped out soon. Yeah. Uh, we were not sure where this book would fit in. We thought, you know, we're going to do one each month. And I thought, oh, this book, this should really be released on March 14th. Yeah. Yeah. And not right now. Yeah. And you came in with the case and you said, hey, Mike, I've got pie here. Yeah. I was really right. excited. But it's a different kind of pie. It's a different kind of pie. You've got to know what we're talking about by now. But if you don't, you'll hear more soon. All right. I think that's it for news for now. Probably not. We probably got a lot of <laughs> other stuff going. that I can't remember. But I think that's it. That's good for now. Yeah. So along the lines of um, uh, talking about you working in the forge <clears throat> and something to do with the content of issue ten. We wanted to talk today about uh, beginning blacksmithing or yep. blacksmithing for woodworkers or mm-hmm. blacksmithing for furniture makers. Could be any of these titles, really. But uh, the idea that. Or um, blacksmithing for complete idiots yes, like me. Complete dummies <laughs> like us. No idea. We uh, are fascinated with the art and the craft of blacksmithing, mm-hmm. and it has a, a long uh, connection with furniture making. Um, from hinges and nails and different custom hardware uh, and tools, obviously, uh, were, have been reliant on a smith for you know, centuries and longer. And so um, we wanted to talk today about how a woodworker can get started in blacksmithing um, and kind of referencing our own journeys thus far in their very uh, infant stage yeah. right now. Uh, 
so we, uh, Joshua and I have talked for a long time about our, our interest in this. And so we had years ago um, talked about having maybe putting a, a little shed roof off the shop and putting a little forge in there so we could, you know, just mess around with nail making or, um, you know, chisels or knives or something like that. Just a little place to fire up some, some charcoal and um, mess around with the craft. And uh, long story short, that evolved into a big group of French carpenters coming and building us a blacksmith shop here. That is a very quick summary of, yeah. of uh, a protracted story. Um, it's amazing how that all came about. But so at this point, we have this amazing blacksmith shop, this timber frame structure that uh, you've begun outfitting mm -hmm. um, yep. with uh, different things for starting to do blacksmithing. Uh, so besides, um, yeah, like in terms of, first of all, why would a woodworker even bother yeah. to explore this whole different field? Right. I mean, I think that's the, that's the question that I've answered for myself and for other people just thinking, you know, with M&T, uh, what we would like to begin to do is to dip our toes into blacksmithing as well because we do think it is very much connected to pre-industrial furniture making. Mm -hmm. uh, like, for example, if you think of um, a rabbit joint, a nailed rabbit joint for a chest, very, very common joinery. That's how you construct a chest. Well, what is a joined chest without the nails? Yeah. What is a rabbit without nails? Yeah nothing and so who makes the nails the blacksmith and so when when the furniture maker is going to put together this joint the furniture maker is dependent on and is collaborating in a sense with the blacksmith and so we don't think of blacksmith uh, blacksmithing as separate from furniture making but mm. that it's it's a piece of furniture making yeah. and so of course it's possible to build furniture without any metal fasteners it's possible um, but it's not very common, and uh, blacksmiths and uh, furniture makers have long collaborated. And so we thought, you know, if we really want to dive into furniture making, it really does make sense that we get pretty involved, uh, at least understanding uh, blacksmithing, uh, trying it ourselves and getting other blacksmiths to begin to talk about this. Uh, for us, uh, so much of our learning is hands-on learning. Uh, I, it's hard for me to just take someone else's word for it. I, I want to go try it yeah. and get a sense of it. And uh, so that's what uh, we've begun to do. Uh, and so I have an article in issue 10 that's talking about some of my early journeys with it. But uh, we're looking forward to a, uh, bringing more of this in, in the future. So um, we don't have a huge forge setup. It's not fully polished. It's right. not the, the final... Uh, set up, but we have a, a makeshift thing as we continue to work on the, the smithy. We still have a, a big pile of shingles to put on the roof, Yep. which I saw this morning. I didn't tell you. I, I was up there this morning and uh, the tar paper ripped a little bit. Yep. So it's starting to drip because it's warmed. Yep. So we need yep. some shingles on it and other things. But once we get that all set, um, we can get uh, deeper into creating the the forge area in a much more permanent way. Yeah, the setup that is out there, we had always intended to be very temporary, but it's very effective, yeah. too. I mean, it kind of does everything we really need it to do. 
Uh, so the forge itself is is built in a dirt box. It's literally what it sounds like. It's a box of dirt on legs. And the dirt, of course, is um, heat resistant. And so within that dirt box is a cast iron, um, is that a fire pot? Just a pot. Yeah. Yep. Cast iron fire pot. Uh, so what that is, it has a little vent in the bottom that the inlet air gets um, blown through to heat the charcoal. We're using charcoal. Yeah. Uh, and that's one it one of the things that you were really interested in. Yeah. As charcoal is yeah, not, a very not regular coal, but charcoal yeah. like it's from trees, cowboy charcoal yeah. or whatever you get to grill food. Um, it's a different kind of charcoal um, than, or it's a different kind of fuel than regular coal that yeah. people are used to, which is you know mined in giant strip mines. Also in Pennsylvania, another fine tradition in Pennsylvania <laughs> is strip these strip mining mountaintops for coal. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, um, it uh, that fire pot that we got was from uh, Harry Bryan up in New Brunswick. Yeah. Uh, he and Martha came down the one day with the six-foot blower that's currently suspended over our heads as we record this podcast. Yeah, the bellows. And yes, and uh, a few other things that he um, wanted to, to give to this blacksmith shop project. Uh, Which, so- real quick pause pause in that train of thought yeah by the way on the blog just this this week or yeah yep uh i post we posted an excerpt of harry bryan last week uh his article about um the his inspiration from ef schumacher and his shop this off-grid boat shop Mm. and he talked about how he has this human-powered bandsaw yeah and so just yesterday i posted uh a video on the blog of Harry using his foot-powered bandsaw with yep. bicycle parts, and uh, it's it's a really cool video. It's super it's cool. Sh- it's a really short video, but it's pretty awesome to see. So check that out. Yeah. Um, totally. So that's the guy. He gifted us a, a few pieces for our our forge, the bellows and the fire pot, and so um, we're very excited to be able to have a piece of Harry's legacy. Yeah. In, in our uh, space all set here. up and and uh, heating metal. Um, so with our temporary setup on the bottom of that cast iron pot sticking out the bottom of the dirt box, we have just some basic, uh, you know, six inch chimney pipe, right? Is that six inch? Uh, I think that's actually eight. Is it eight? It's the basic, the the chimney pipe you buy at the hardware store. So it comes Uh, down. That is six, you're right. It is. Okay. It comes down to a T. So there's a clean out on the bottom. And then that runs uh, sideways to uh, its dryer vent, yeah, right? Just dryer. So ducting. that ducts air in from a crank blower, which is uh, on its last legs. Yeah. Right. You know. You know when you do that, you get on eBay and you say, "I can't find anything around here. I'm just going to take a chance on eBay." Yeah. So far, my my success rate is pretty poor yeah uh, i have not taking a chance on ebay is a pretty big risk yeah i i just recently got a japanese chisel which was yeah. so awesome yeah that looks great yeah it's so good but um besides that there are a lot of things especially if they got gears and working parts that yeah so good. this crank blower uh it's uh pre-bearing the pre-bearing days it has bushings instead of bearings and all the bushings were toast and so we took that apart and just kind of fabricated fabricated bushings from bits of bronze we had around and like some copper pipe and 
uh, got it spinning and it spins and it blows really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just makes, you know, a bit of a clatter. It seems like it's the gears getting louder. And, yeah, it's just... <laughs> yeah, the gears were all pretty chewed up once we got in there. So um, that one is for sure temporary, but it's doing the job right now. Yeah. Um, the anvil, where did you get that anvil? Uh, a friend of mine, uh, David. Yes, A friend right. of mine is a, is a barista who used to be a professional blacksmith and a whole bunch of other unrelated uh, careers uh, in, his, in his past life, I guess, mm-hmm. lives. Um, but he was uh, very dedicated to blacksmithing and had a whole big setup. And he has loaned me his anvil for a little while. I feel like that's a great way to get started um, is to connect with people who have this stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, I bet. A lot of people probably can make a connection to somebody who was interested in blacksmithing but isn't using it right now and would be happy to loan you an anvil for a little while to play with. Yeah. Um, Maybe not, but it's worth asking and looking around. Yeah, we've we've heard from several people. uh, Someone uh, who who said, oh, if only I had known, I I just unloaded a dump truck full of anvils I'd been collecting (laughs) over the years. And, uh, you know, stuff like that where you go, hmm. (laughs) <laughs> that was probably a missed opportunity, but, you know, you can't catch them all. Yeah. Um, so we have that anvil. Uh, it's probably a 100-pound anvil. Something Is like it more that. than that? It's a, a decently stout anvil. Yeah. Um, and that's just uh, basically it fastened to a stump. Yeah. Um, the, the floor out there right now is just dirt, so the stump sits on the dirt floor. Eventually, I think we're going to do rammed earth out there. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll ram it. We'll ram it for sure. So we'll fill it with it with now. dirt, and we will ram it. Yeah, so it will be a rammed earth, <laughs> having been rammed. Uh, and then we have a um, an old barrel out there full of water. Yeah, just for a, quenching. a whiskey barrel, which is funny because, um, you know, that's not that uncommon to use an old whiskey barrel for that. Um, and so I saw these at a local hardware store. I saw them sitting out front. They were, you know retired whiskey barrels and i think they said like you know potting uh, like yeah, a pot a for planter. plants or whatever yeah. planter and so i thought oh okay an old whiskey barrel that would be good and you know i can get one of those and so i i bought one and they were out front and i went to grab it and went to go pick it up and the thing almost fell apart into pieces nice like the thing it was so loose that i was like cradling it the whole way it's a it's a large barrel and I'm like cradling it all and trying to not have it fall into pieces, as I said, in the back of my van. And it's so interesting because when we had um, our friend Marshall Sheets write for us about coopering, yeah. uh, I was learning a lot about coopering then and, um, you know, how when this is wet, how it swells and that kind of thing. But he was talking about them being nice and tight fitting, even without the water. You don't depend on the water for tightness, but some people uh, think that's how it goes. So I was just thinking about this, these staves swelling to, to make it watertight, kind of like a, a boat, but reverse, right? right? Keep the water exactly. out. Um, but it was so interesting because this thing, uh, I could almost not carry it. It was so loose. It was just like a pile of sticks in a circle, you know? And so I, I took this whiskey barrel and I set it out under the eaves of the smithy. And I had some, uh, some five-gallon buckets of water I was dumping in there every once in a while to try to, like, saturate it. Yeah. And it was interesting. It took me, like, almost a full week. And the water level started at, like, I, I poured water and it just all emptied out. So I poured some more water and it just 
poured out. And I kept doing that over the course of a week, periodically adding, and it rained a few times, I think, that week. And by the end of that time period, it was holding water. I mean, it was, it's what, 18 inches deep, yeah. holding water super tight. And so it's so interesting because then I dumped out the water and rolled the barrel into the smithy and filled it with five-gallon buckets. Mm-hmm. And I have not had one drop out of that. Yeah, thing since. it's completely tight So now. cool. Yeah. So uh, that coopering is such an awesome trade, <clears throat> and it, it just was interesting to see that trade interacting with this this new craft, this new trade that I want to um, explore, blacksmithing. And it's just all this interconnected stuff that was just cool. Yeah. It builds off each other. Very neat to see. Um, we have a 10-foot-long bench in there along one wall and uh, a decent assortment of blacksmithing tools. At least it looks decent to me. <laughs> a blacksmith would be like, <clears throat> wow, you boys better get started somewhere. I don't know. Uh, but uh, a, a decent pile, you know, hammers and tongs and different things that we've yeah. found or, or been given. Yeah, there are a few tongs that I've modified to be able to do what I want to do. Mm. Um, and that was cool to learn how yeah. simple that is, actually. Yeah. Because you can heat it up and just control, change angles. Change the angle and change yeah. the shape. And yeah. So that's been good metal, to have. Metal is not a uh, just a fixed substance. It's to be adjusted and adapted. And um, as woodworkers, we often think of it as like the unchangeable element of anything, your tools and your fasteners and stuff. But, um, and you found a, an old uh, forged leg vise. Yeah, right. A friend, Nevin, uh, he turned us on to a specific leg vise that he found um, at the tool barn. And uh, we were visiting, when we did the interview with Roy Underhill, we stopped by Peter Ross's shop. And Peter was basically showing us, okay, guys, this is what you're looking for in a leg vise. And so he gave us kind of the rundown on that. And one of the most common things is the stripped out uh, threads of the screw mm-hmm. and you got to watch for that so um i went to the tool barn and found this thing is in great shape yeah. um it's missing a, a, i think a wedge to be able to secure it but other than that it's in great shape so yeah. we got to install that at some point here soon um the stuff i've been doing doesn't require a leg vice yet yeah um it's been pretty basic stuff but but we'll want that'll it. be important soon yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, in the plans for the future, uh, we're talking about a probably a, a brick chimney uh, or something like that when we build the 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 actual forge. Yeah. Um, but we don't have a chimney right now, yep. and it's not been a problem. Yeah. Um, because we're using charcoal, uh, charcoal doesn't smoke as much. If we we're using regular coal, you don't want that stuff all over filling your your space. Yeah. Um, we do still have, um, however, one side of the uh, smithy is wide open to the elements still. Yeah. And so there's w- way more than enough ventilation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at some point we want to add on, uh, do some wood storage or something like that. And uh, so if we end up blocking that off, uh, we're going to need some more yeah. uh, ventilation. Probably. Introduce some more air to the space. But... Uh, it's it's working so far. Yeah. Um, and we've definitely learned a lot. <laughs> I have. I have ruined a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because Mike's like, huh, 
I've never had that problem before. <laughs> like, I mean, in my vast experience yeah. in blacksmithing. But yeah, he's like, I've done it a few times, and that's never done what keeps happening to you. That's interesting. Um, so we've learned a lot. Uh, we've been playing with some of this stuff. Um, Mike, what would you say is some of the or some of the forefront lessons you learned right out of the gate, especially coming from the woodworking side of it and trying blacksmithing? What have you found like, oh, wow, that's interesting, really different. I got to watch for that. Yeah, I think uh, I mentioned it a, a couple minutes ago, just the fact that metal is not this um, like unmoving, uh, you know, set in stone, so to speak, thing, um, that it is basically dependent upon your skill you can make it do whatever you want uh it just requires this deep understanding that's on on the edge of of mystical uh <laughs> that's I, all I it found. is yeah it's just magic and once you learn it you can get it that's what i found about oh, blacksmithing okay. is that why we keep failing that's why that's it um yeah what about you lessons learned oh where do i begin uh i think that i mean that's that's one of them for sure. It's so interesting thinking about metal as so hard and rigid. And um, and then you heat that stuff up and it's bright red and you like touch it with the hammer and it just like falls down. You're like, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. You just feel so powerful. You can shape. And then it, as soon as it cools, it's this hard, you know, uh, substance, hard tool, hard whatever, fastener. So that's been uh, really eye-opening to me to see, to think about that material in a, in a different way than just a finished item. Um, but I also, my, my earliest uh, experiments with forging were involved with uh, making a, a, a carving knife for my, for my wife, Julia. Um, I burned a lot of steel mm. <laughs> doing that. Yeah, um, charcoal gets pretty hot. It gets pretty hot. But actually, so that was before... Uh, if you have ever done, <clears throat> you know, any YouTube searching for backyard blacksmithing, you'll see the uh, <clears throat> the hair dryer setup. And so I did that. I had a hair dryer, and it was way too much air. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, the hair dryer dirt box. Yeah, it works great. It just works yeah. almost too great. Yeah. So it's possible to get uh, a knife blank or the piece of tool steel you're using. Uh, you know, welding temperature or beyond. Yeah, or, you know, pretty quickly. sparks yeah. and burning. Yeah. It basically turns into the surface of the sun, which is not really what you want. No. So so, so what happened is I was making these knives, plural, because I kept messing them up. And I would, um, I would hammer the edge thin, even though I was going to grind it, I'd get it really close, and I'd put it into that, uh, into the coals, and the tip would just instantly you know, melt away. Mm -hmm. so, oh. <laughs> so I learned about the thickness of the material and how to position it within the coals. And so it's, it's not just like get it hot and hit it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Until it comes out. What, what you'd like it to be. I know that doesn't sound profound. Yeah. But, uh, that is profound. It's a keen lesson to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the final knife came out Yeah. and looks good. And, uh, so just a few attempts. I mean, again, it's like Thomas Edison and the light bulb. You found many ways of how not to make a knife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but you've made a few other things since then that <clears throat> have come out. For I saw uh, last Christmas 
uh, you made a few things for your boys so they could make a mess in your living room. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> which I just I just read on the blog about these froes. I made my two youngest uh, each a fro so they could split wood in my house. That's a good idea. <laughs> <clears throat> and my wife actually just yesterday said, I need like a break for like a day or two. <laughs> no no froze away. for like a couple days. Yeah, give the kids video games or something. Take yeah. the froze away. No, it's just, it made such a huge mess. And so that's really fun. Yeah. That's really cool for kids. Um, so we just need to, I would get home from work and it was like shavings and because they were not only like splitting wood, but they were using them as draw knives to debark all of our firewood. So nice. it was like, all strewn all the way through and it's like my wife could not keep up with the mess so i get home and go oh boy okay so froze are great i made it i made them actually i was going to use i was thinking of using spring steel um something like a, a, a leaf spring or something from a truck but um didn't have that right at hand and so i thought well i do have a whole bunch of um big files retired files from yeah. an antique store and so I use those. That's really hard steel, so I don't want them to break. So I allowed them to air cool so they weren't so brittle and hard. Right. Um, and that actually worked out pretty awesome mm-hmm. um, in terms of the hardness. <clears throat> the boys have been really using them hard and I've had no problems. So froze, that's not that big of a deal. I did the um, – I formed the eye, which is not hard, but I tried, <laughs> tried to forge weld the eye shut. And that did not hold. I was not able to successfully forge weld. Um, so I don't have that skill. Uh, mm. But with my kids and what they're doing, it actually doesn't need to be welded shut. Yeah. It's just fine. They can't so. lever it open. Yeah. So. And then uh, the other one other thing that you've been focused on making. Nails. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been making nails, and that's actually a lot of what's um, what I'm doing in issue ten. I'm talking about that nail making process and why I'm making nails, and talking about um, the 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 bravery, I guess, or the insanity, <laughs> maybe you would call it, in trying something new and, and not being afraid to uh, try a new thing and to see what comes out of it. Um, being able to use tools uh, competently is is I think a, a good and healthy aspiration. If we if we only stick where we're comfortable, mm. uh, then we never push ourselves to to grow. And so by by consistently setting your goal just outside of your reach, you're you're always moving forward to get to the next thing. And so you don't want to set completely unrealistic goals. So for me. Learning to make nails seemed within reason, uh, but I s- struggled to learn and develop an efficient way to, to do it, and um, I finished the nails I needed for my project, but mm-hmm. I'm by no means proficient, so I look forward to, to more of that. Yeah. So uh, what kind of stuff have you made, Mike? Yeah, so I, um, when I was a teenager, I found the book in the library called uh, Custom Tools for Woodworkers should have uh, written down the author's name. Can't remember it right now. Um, but if you look up that book, 
custom tools for woodworkers. You'll find it, and it's it's basic blacksmithing for woodworkers. Uh, some of the projects are a little more than basic, a little more than I would be comfortable with. But um, I was uh, inspired there to build a little uh, forge setup with a little hair dryer and uh, attempt to use some old uh, cast-off car parts and bits of springs and stuff to, to pound into carving tools. And that was just a lot of fun, um, you know, uh, flattening round spring stock and, and uh, hammering it out and trying to get um, trying to get the temper right. Oh. My goodness, again, it's all magic. Uh, but um, since then, more recently, I've made a few crooked knives from files, and I'm really fascinated with the idea that a lot of these tools were made at the campfire. Um, you know, with, with different setups to get things hotter so that you could uh, uh, shape the steel a little bit. So um, the, the Crooked Knife or, or Mokotagan uh, has a few different names depending on the, the language or tradition you're coming from, but it's uh, basically a one-handed draw knife that was uh, an indigenous woodworking tool in North America. And um, since uh, post-contact times, they traditionally have used old cast-off files for their blade. And so I've made a few of those. Uh, my most recent one is my best one so far, and hopefully that will remain true as That's I a try, good and, direction. try and make more. <laughs> uh, the first, first couple <clears throat> were not so good, and uh, they've been retired. Um, but that is about the depth of my... Uh, jump into blacksmithing so far. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's... I think my goals are not to, you know, be able to do anything with blacksmithing. Um, I I really... I do have a, a, a lot of respect for this, this craft and what it takes to become very proficient with it. Um, and so I've, I'm under no delusion that, you know... A little bit of practice here and there and you'll be able to do it because it looks because they make it look so easy yeah that's <laughs> called uh, skill yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um but my goals um are to to look at uh, making fasteners like nails um and to explore making hinges and things like that really directly related to furniture making mm -hmm. um but also uh, along with that too is to to be able to make or modify tools yeah. um and so that uh, you know it's interesting because it seems like well that's simple are you kidding me that's that's also complicated but i'm encouraged because there are a lot of people historically i think about you know say the domini shop um that they had this furniture making business and then they also had this clock making mm -hmm. business this is one family in their house. They had a little tiny clock shop with their little forge. And they had all these little specialty tools for that. And it's really not that uncommon or that absurd to think uh, a person could develop, you know, a, a moderate level of competence doing blacksmithing and woodworking. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's been done a lot throughout history. And so I'm encouraged that it is it is possible to do that. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at is to be um, diversifying my my experience with that. I think there's a real value in, in doing that. Uh, some people, they want to get really good at being um, 
being doing uh, doing one thing, but I think what you gain from that deep level experience, you miss the breadth of experience. And so I've learned so many things in the little bit of blacksmithing I've done that have made me think about woodworking differently. And so it really fills out your, your framework for thinking about natural materials and how they can be worked. And as soon as you do that, you get to know other trades and crafts. And then you get to know about all these approaches. Like I know when I met Mike, and he's coming from a boat building background, and we're talking about, uh, say, driving nails and clinching nails in the back. And he says, right. oh, yeah, you can just take this wedge and put it on the back, and it'll clinch that way. And all these different things that boat builders just know, obviously, just do it this way. But furniture makers don't really think about. Um, the more... The, the broader your frame of reference, the more uh, deep and, and uh, well-rounded your experience and knowledge is going to be. Yeah, so and that's, that's what I'm after. Yeah, I mean, we talk a bit about crossover skills and the way that things translate from one trade or craft to another. And uh, it really is this, um, you know, it's a diversity of, of different ends and different materials, but all in all, the, you know, the skills of of human hands kind of pull, pull it all off. And so learning more about as many as we can, it really informs all of our understandings. Well, and in my article in issue 10, I, I kind of talk about that because, you know, you have this hammer f- forming the nails at the anvil, and then you take another hammer to drive the nails in, in a wooden construction. And I just kind of spend some time talking about that or, or wrestling with those ideas of being a woodworker and feeling comfortable with that end. Mm-hmm. But then, so that side of the project, I felt like, oh yeah, I got this. This is actually a pretty basic project. But then the blacksmithing is like total foreign territory. And I feel right. like my hand cannot do what I know it needs to be doing for that particular motion and that operation. And so, uh, Always having both of those things is is a good and healthy thing. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about some of our failures. <laughs> Wait, didn't we already do that? <laughs> oh, we, there's more. There's got to be more. Um, yeah, so in terms of, you know, not just burning n- knife blades and stuff, but uh, places that I, I'm always inspired to hear of how people have struggled in different ways. I, I get not we just... We are an a, endless source of inspiration. Yeah, oh, we, we are. We don't have to <laughs> dig too deep to find inspiration to share. But basically that all these challenges can be overcome. Um, yeah. And so talking about failures is, is a good thing. Uh, so how about you, Joshua? Well, I, I mean, I think really besides the, the things I've said about the, the knife experience... Um, and, and burning the tip. I think that's the, the thing, like with the coals and having the heat in one, not only just like the coals, but one spot within the bed of coals. You see where there's just this, um, there are different levels of heat within the coals. And you have different thicknesses of the material. It goes from, it tapers from thick to thin, say. And you want to heat one particular part of it because you want to bend there and not other places. There are so many variables um, coming into put, sticking the piece of metal in the hot stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> that that is just ripe for doing it wrong. Mm. And so I, I've just found you got to burn a bunch of steel, you got to mess yeah. up a bunch of stuff, 
um, to be able to even just get a sense of what is too hot, yeah. what is too um, too cold, how, how does something get cracked? And so, I don't know, how else would you learn besides doing it? Yeah. You mess it up and you go, oh, I yeah. see, that's, that's the boundary right there. Um, so I think one of the other things um, that I haven't mentioned yet is that that tempering business. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's yeah. hard to try to get that that perfect uh, hardness that isn't brittle that you can sharpen easily, but it holds an edge, mm-hmm. and to get that color just right at the edge. Yeah. Um, you know, I brought my little toaster oven from my house into the shop, and I was trying to temper the edge of the knife, and you know. I, this is not a high calibration machine. Right. And uh, so I kept messing it up, I think, a couple times. Yeah, you're like, looking in for the straw color. I don't know, Klein. <laughs> um, looking for the straw color, just trying to get it right. And, oh, that looks purple. Went too far, oh, went too far. crap. Yeah. So, um, and yep. it, so it's so interesting because so this, here's what happened with the first one. I, in, I got all the way done, got to the tempering process. I was tempering the blade, but I couldn't see the straw color. Mm-hmm. I, I looked close and it did not look straw color. While it was in the oven. While it right? was in there. Yeah. And so I waited a little bit, waited a little bit, and took it out and it was purple. Mm-hmm. Too far. Yeah. Oh. And so I said, okay, no problem. I'll just put it in the coals, yeah. heat it up, yeah. and you know let it uh, cool, and then I'll bring it back up to the temper. And so I burned the edge, of course. So mm-hmm. then I just ruined the whole knife. So yeah. it's just one of those things that it's like, I don't, there's there's no regret there. There's no, I should have done, but I now know, oh, that's why you do this or that. Or now I know to watch out for this tempering thing. So tempering is a little yeah. tricky. Unless you have a, a perfect setup that like you have the time and temperature on that particular um, device and you know that it works that way, yeah. then you're set. Yeah. But besides that, if you're trying a new situation, you yeah. kind of just got to guess. I mean, it's in the, the tempering, like the uh, hardening and quenching and then tempering that I've had the biggest headaches. Um, I I was trying to make a um, crooked knife and I had gotten this nice sweep to it because some of these have a pretty good sweep for the, the kinds that, um, you know, to work across like the surface of a canoe paddle or something. You want some curve to it. And so I got in this nice sweep and I um, had quenched it and I was looking at the sweep and I was like, hmm, I wonder how, you know, how flexible this is. And I just took it and I, I tried putting a little more bend to it and it just exploded in my hand. It, it blew it like, like, a, like a, a dried lasagna noodle, right? Just And I just stood there holding two ends of it while the other bits went flying across and I was just staring. I was aghast that... You know, just minutes ago, I had it was nice and soft and workable, and and uh, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's important to know. <laughs> After you quench something, don't go messing around with trying to bend it. Um, but yeah, the tempering thing is a trick, and getting a consistent temper. You know, oftentimes mm. you can have one color at one end of a blade and another color, so you end up with if the the, the base or the, the tip of the, the knife blade is especially soft. It just is a pain. So, again, I just say it's magic and, and uh, excellent tool makers are magicians, but I'd mm-hmm. like to learn more about how they do what they do. So, yeah. 
we're we're diving into it. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I want to get a new hand crank blower set up, one that's running really smooth. Um, I'm looking forward to getting the forge set up a little bit more comfortable. And just to keep diving in, uh, some of the advice I've gotten uh, so far from people um, has been to uh, Jordan Goodwin um, from Accent Anvil and also from Peter Ross. They both said, don't watch YouTube, <laughs> first of all. Yeah. Uh, and get some lessons from somebody. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be able to connect with uh, a few local blacksmiths and have them say, all right, guys, here's what yeah. you really need to be doing. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, I think, that you know, like Peter said to me, you can learn a lot of really bad habits yep. by starting out just making it up. Um, and so... Um, that's been, I think, my biggest downfall is I haven't committed to anything too deep. I've That's been burned in my mind to not get settled in any way of doing things um, because I, I want to be able to uh, connect with another blacksmith. You can say, all right, here's the, here's the, um, here are the ground rules. Right. Never do this. Always do this. Here's the order of operations. Um, and I think that's really the, the key to anything really is ask somebody who knows how to do it and they'll show you. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's a it's a worthwhile uh, journey to try to explore a new craft you haven't done before. Um, at bare minimum, you fail miserably, mm-hmm. and you have a deeper appreciation for those who do it and make it look easy, uh, which is not a bad thing. Yeah, I think that's really great. And I've I remember <laughs> talking with Roy Underhill when we were hanging out at his place, and we were talking about blacksmithing. Because I said we were interested. So he took us over to Peter Ross's place. And I said, so Roy, I know you have done a bunch of blacksmithing in the past. Do you still do blacksmithing? And he's like, oh, I got Peter. I don't need to do blacksmithing. (laughs) And so for him, he has done blacksmithing. He knows how to do a lot of this basic stuff. But ultimately, the the main benefit that he got from it is it just deepened his appreciation of what Peter Ross can do. Yeah. And so he you know maintains that tight friendship with peter and says hey i need this and that and then he sees what peter does by eye and he's like oh my goodness that's amazing yeah um but if if roy never did that if he never tried to do it he would just say oh that's too expensive i'll just get something else or what you know whatever you would not feel the deepest appreciation that someone like peter uh, really is owed so i've never heard of anybody say I wish I spent less time learning things. Yeah. That was a waste of time. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there are many other <laughs> wastes of time that happen very often, but learning new things is not one of them. Yeah. It's about one of the most rewarding things you can do. Yeah. Have you ever listened to Car Talk, the, uh, the show on NPR? Yep, NPR. Yeah. Yeah. I love it how they always end their radio show or used to end it. They say, well, you've eviscerated another hour listening to this. <laughs> yep. I kind of feel like that's appropriate to say. Here. Yeah, so everyone out there. Speaking of. You've <laughs> just wasted 45 minutes that you could be out making nails. <laughs> but So you have some penance to yep. do. You have to get out there and make stuff, make some shavings, uh, make some nails, whatever it's got uh, to be to make good on this 45 minutes you just spent listening to us. Yeah, go for it. Well, thank you for wasting your time on the Mortis Intended podcast. <laughs> if you haven't already, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
That means Stitcher or iTunes or Spotify or Pandora or all those places. Yeah. Uh, if you have any comments or questions, uh, you can leave them in our blog post below or you can email them to us. We're, uh, we always reply to your emails. So uh, send those comments along. Or if you actually know how to blacksmith, mm-hmm. please comment. <laughs> you can tell please us. Please email. You can correct us. Yeah. So uh, thank you for listening. See you next time. Thank you.